He is the one true and living God. Thank you. He is our friend. He is our maker, creator. He's everything to us, Lord. There is nothing that we need that he can't provide. There is no uh, situation that he intervenes in that does not come out healed. So we thank you, Lord, that we know Jesus, the healer. We want to know him in a greater fashion today. We honor you and love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. So we're going to talk about the fact that God keeps covenant. Amen. He keeps covenant. And uh, we, we, but there are some things that we need to do as well. So it's, it's, but we have to understand what it means uh, when he keeps covenant. He keeps it. Um, we, we have a tendency sometimes as human beings to feel <clears throat> that if we do a certain thing, God won't approve of us. He won't love us. He won't forgive us. Uh, why? Because we have limits to our love. We have limits on our affection. We have limits on her, our commitment. In fact, in this day and age, people have found how easy it is to live and survive without committing to anything. No? You'll see people that uh, live on the streets, and many of them have a history of just not committing to anything. They don't trust. They don't love. They don't seek to serve and understand. And so, and, and I know it's hard to accept that, but there is a remedy to everything. See, every situation has a remedy, and that remedy is often within us. You got me? There's a remedy within you for every situation that comes about. For instance, if you want to be healed, you know you've got to use your faith. You got faith inside you to use for every need that you have. But faith works by love. So there's the kicker right there. See, that part is our responsibility, but the love comes from God. All we have to do is yield to it. And God will do anything for us that we desire if we can operate in his laws. So in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, it says here that God is faithful. Let me see. We serve a verse 9. He says, <clears throat> this is Moses talking to God's people. Uh, in verse 7 he starts. He says, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were a lot of people more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. So God don't know, love you because you're a crowd. And we shouldn't love people because they're a crowd. We can take people on their individual merits. He says, but because the Lord loved you, <clears throat> he, and because he would keep the oath which he has sworn to your fathers, has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He also repays them that hate him to their face to destroy them. And he will not be slack to him that hates him, but he will repay him to his face. 
So what it is saying here, God makes a difference between people based not on what we always think is impressive. He does it because he loves you because he promised to love you. The nation of Israel was fortunate in that they had a father that extracted a promise from God. Your children are blessed because they have a parent that extracted a promise from God. Amen. So you keep covenant with God and he keeps covenant with you and he keeps covenant and mercy. The Bible says to many generations, at least 10 generations under the old covenant and in eternal generations now in the new. So there is no limit on how far God will go back and check his records and make sure that he keeps his promises to you. Sometimes your children can be out in no man's land doing the worst things in the world. And all of a sudden the spirit of God will show up and deliver them out of trouble. Amen. Because he looked back in the records books and said three generations back, your mother, grandmother, somebody made a commitment to me and they kept their word. And so now I got to keep covenant with you. Amen. And he promises to deliver us from every snare of the enemy. I don't care if you stuck your foot in there yourself and dared God to come rescue you. God will rescue you because of his great mercy. You understand me? He will not let the devil win at this. If it comes to a, 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 a choice between letting the devil win and showing you mercy, he's going to show you mercy every single time. You understand that? Devil's not a winner, not over your God. So God keeps covenant and mercy. So his covenant is not on the do and don't side. It's on the in case you didn't side. <laughs> I'm still here for you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You know, I would go and, and spend too much money for the umpteenth time. And my husband would be checking. We kept, I kept all the receipts in a canister. And he would always make these noises. Like, you know, he'd pull the top off the canister and pretend like it jumped out of there like a jacket. Or like a, it was so many press down when he took the pressure off. They shot up to the, I'd see receipts flying on the ceiling. I said, oh, man, he's always working my nerves. And he would look him over and look at me and look, and I'd be over there sweating. He said, oh, baby, I'm just messing with you. You know, that kind of stuff. And so, and, but, but see, we're looking for God to pull the plug. Now, don't get me wrong. That brother pulled the plug, but see, I knew where the other one was kept. <laughs> Listen, I had all my credit card numbers memorized. Excuse me? They do take them from memory, you know? I'll grow up, y'all. Y'all act like I didn't murder somebody or something. You know, sister just trying to make ends meet <laughs> and overlap. I'm just trying to survive out there in a tough world, <laughs> the world of married people. Amen. All the married people say amen. If you want to keep peace in the home, you got to work together. Amen. Even if one of y'all is tight. Whatever, okay. But God wants us to know he's not keeping accounts like that. 
he's not keeping up with the last time you messed up the money or the last time you didn't the books didn't balance or the last time you robbed Peter to pay Paul. Huh? Peter thin as a rail and Paul getting fat, but you still at it. You understand what I'm saying? God does not do that. He keeps promises, he keeps covenant on the mercy side. So when he's looking for you, he's looking to you to show you mercy. See, a covenant keeper is on the hunt to find those that he is in covenant with to show mercy, not vengeance, not to tell you, don't ask me no more because you done messed up for the last time. You know, a man's covenant is stronger than that. I've seen people married to some real losers. But they love them and they keep giving them chance after chance. I mean, that's not wrong to do. Not in a marriage. It's not wrong to do. A marriage is a very different type of covenant than any other agreement or contract you can get into on earth. Huh? Because it mimics the relationship that we have with Jesus. So we keep covenant and mercy with our spouses. He keeps greater covenant and greater mercy with us. He's not willing to cut us off because we've messed up too much or we're not investing in. He invested heavily in us when we were yet sinners. Amen? And so when God is seeking us, he's seeking us to bless us, folks. You won't find a believer. Now, there were some that, that got the death sentence, but if they kept their end of the covenant, he repented. God changed. Remember Hezekiah? You know, he was king. He represented God. You got to be careful when you represent God. You know, we all do. Some people have a bigger platform than others. But remember, Moses couldn't enter into the promised land because he refused to sanctify God in front of the people. He was a public man. All the good Moses did, he still couldn't enter into what he had believed God for simply because he made that mistake before the people and he was representing God. So we have to be careful about our witness. Amen. We have to be careful about the things that we do as representatives and ambassadors for Christ. But Hezekiah was was given a death sentence by God. Man of God came in and told him to get your stuff together. You ain't got a will. You got 20 seconds to make it out. Go get your kids, get your wife, get everybody that's important to you. Get your affairs in order because you will surely die. The Bible said as soon as the prophet went out, the prophet said, okay, I heard that. As soon as he went out, he said, God, see, that's you keeping covenant. Your covenant says, seek me, call unto me. That's exactly what Hezekiah immediately. Sometimes it's good when you get bad news, get immediate before God. See, well, let me tell you why. When you let, if you let the bad news sink in and you start considering it and you hesitate before God, he'd say, what up? I thought we was friends. I thought we had strong friendship. I thought you trusted me. I thought you just. Yeah, I know I said it. Yeah, I told the prophet to tell you that. 
But what up? Don't we have a covenant? In other words, God said, is my answer the final answer? Ow! <laughs> and I'm not talking about no pretty please with sugar on it. I'm talking about going to God with your best case against what he just decreed on you. And you know what Hezekiah did? He reminded God. He said, God, hey, listen. Remember when I was working for you? What I did for you? I rebuilt this nation. I've always represented the right way. Whatever I did that got me here, let's talk about that. And I'll repent and let's reverse that. But you can't raise up somebody that knows as much about you as I do. Not right now. See, suppose you need a king on the throne and we get attacked and you need somebody who's in your corner. What you going to do, God? You can't kill me. Or you could, but, you know, probably be better if you let me live. (laughs) So he recounted with God all of the things that he had done for God. For this reason, now, we understand God made that that decree, and God was serious about it. But out of Hezekiah began to flow faith, to serve God again, to keep going, to do more for God, to get on God's good side again, to get to where God could trust him again. Faith. Same thing with Job. He sat in the bed, I don't know how many months or whatever. He was lying in the bed and his friends paraded in and dogged him out, talked about him. And everybody had wisdom in God that they didn't know, know, you know, making it up. Well, maybe it's because you did this and maybe because of that and maybe this and maybe that, has uh, um, Job. And so God listened to it for like 39 chapters. And he finally blew in and said, who is this speaking wisdom without knowledge? Declare to me and I will demand of you. In other words, Job, this ain't getting you nowhere. Why you don't come to me, I don't know. And that's what God asks all of us in our time of need. Why you don't come to me, I don't know. We're friends. I'm the God who keeps covenant. I'm looking for you to keep your end of the covenant, and that is to ask me, seek me, trust me. Make your request known to God. You know, in the book of Philippians, it says, when you have a need, you need to ask God and, and pray, and the peace of God, that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. See, make your request known to him. Talk to him about what you need. Always talk to God first. When God, when God then does give you instruction, then follow the instruction. But always plead your case at the throne. Amen? Plead the blood. We used to say, a lawyer up. Call on Jesus, your attorney. Lawyer up and let him go to bat for you and allow God to allow you to pour out of your spirit 
the things that, that will add to your faith, the things that will make your faith active, the things that will make your faith alive so that God can bless you and heal you. So God uh, keeps covenant with people and mercy. He always sides in mercy. God makes promises to people with conditions they must abide by. So in Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, he is a faithful God. He keeps covenant and mercy to all generations. Then in Exodus 15, in 26, he gave the conditions for which men were to be healed. Under the old covenant and the same same relationship is there under the new covenant. The old only foreshadows the new. We get the essence of it in the new covenant. Amen. So in Exodus chapter. Sorry about that. 15. You all know the scripture by heart. In verse 26. If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, do that which is right in his sight. Give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. I'll put none of these diseases upon you which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. Now, sinners, he allows sickness. Saints, he heals. You are never entitled to be sick in God's world. You know, you'll hear people say things, well, the life I lived, and I didn't eat right, I didn't, I mean, who did? You know, guilty as charged. Like David said, he says, God knows our frame, he knows we're just dust. Huh? He said, well, David can say that. He messed up. What did you do? Huh? See, he wasn't making excuses for his sin. He was crying out to God from a knowledge that he had of God from his relationship with God. And he, he found God to be a merciful God always. He found God to be a God that you could go to. And you could pray a prayer and you could get understanding from God and you could get forgiveness. Forgiveness in God's sense means that when the Bible says he remembers it no more, that word remember actually means to remember the penalty due for that thing. Or to levy the penalty due for that. You ever have, you know, like go through your checkbook and you see where uh, uh, somebody, you overpaid one of your creditors. You say, oh, I remember now I paid that and they never did send me my refund for that. Well, that's what that means. That means remember and levy a penalty against. So God, by not remembering your sin, it's not like he's pretending that you didn't do anything. Like we do sometimes. You know, people offend you and you don't really forgive them and you go around them. And then something goes, 
on the inside of you. You don't feel right. You know what I'm saying. That's pretending that you don't remember anymore. But when you forgive, the Bible says the blood of Jesus purges. I mean, the blood does this. It takes it out of you. It cleanses. It removes from your remembrance. Your memories start to get pleasant toward that individual again. It's interesting. When we have we can have friendships with people, and they do one thing, and we I'm never going to talk to them no more. And we do that sometimes. In in God, and then you think sometimes God will start working you. That's the way I say it, and start bringing people maybe around you that will remind you of stories where you used to get along with that people person. You go hmm, huh? That means God's getting you. He loves you enough to want to purge you from something that would hinder your relationship with him as well as that person. You got me? He wants to free us up from every encumbrance that would hinder our successful relationship with him. So he made God made this statute and ordinance with Israel for divine health and healing. He says, if you will diligently hearken, that means listen intently. That word diligent really means studiously and with the intent of a goal. It means to show care and conscientiousness and constant effort to accomplish something. So if you are diligent about receiving your health and your healing from God, that means that your goal and your intent is to be healed. Not to just feel better, not to get a little, be able to go to work and come home and fall out because you used up all your energy at that crazy job. But it is to be totally healed according to God's standard of healing for you. See, when you turn something over to God in that realm where you want healing, you want anything like that, he works according to the counsel of his will. He has a standard for your healing. When I was suffering from depression, it was the hardest thing to quit taking pills for it. Because people who have anxiety don't want to be tense and anxious. And so we're looking for something that's going to give us some quick relief, some fast relief, all of that. And it, it just took the longest time for me to get, get free. And I thought to myself, I said, well, I could function, you know, with the pills. But that was not God's standard. When I prayed to be healed, that turned the standard over to him. And I thank God that he got me pill free. Amen. Because when you really need them for health, it's one thing. But if it's something that it's a spiritually depression, all those are mostly spiritual. There's nothing physical there. Those are spiritual things. And people say, well, if you take, if you take booster this and pill that and, you know, ginkgo this and, and you know, blah stuff, you take this and it elevates your endorphins. Well, endorphin ain't going to help you. When you don't know how to forgive somebody, see, what kind of, what kind of pill is going to take care of that? 
people who are depressed are generally angry people. They've just gone passive over it. They learn how to hide it just so they can, you know, function around other people. But I had to deal with all the anger issues that I had. I had to deal with all the, the, the hurt and all of that from an upbringing that I didn't appreciate. You understand what I'm saying? Do you hear what I say? I didn't say nobody abused me. I said I didn't appreciate my upbringing. See, you let God show you what's really going on, your eyes will pop wide open. Years later, when I had recovered pretty much from being depressed, I used to blame my mother for a lot of things. I didn't think she was a very good mother. I didn't think she really cared about me or took care of me well and all that kind of stuff. And I found out she was depressed almost all her life, all her adult life. And I remember she would pray sometimes. You didn't see her pray too often, but when it really got bad for her, she would pray. And I had felt that when I got, uh, when I went into the mental hospital, I felt like she was ashamed of me and kind of turned her back on me. And she she was chronically ill at the time after my recovery. And I was talking to her. I was sitting on the bed. And I said, well, Mama, she said, you know, she said, I'm so glad to see you the way you are. And I was saved at that time. And she said, when you got sick, remember? She said, I prayed for you. She said, and God told me to let her go. She said, and when I let you go, I saw a new person coming out of the person you were. And God told me you were going to be okay. You understand me? See, we can misinterpret things to the max. Don't ever think the way you feel is justified because you may be 100% wrong about everything. When you're not feeling peaceful toward people, you're not feeling loving toward people, question you. Don't question them because God will take care of all of that. But he wants you to be straight. You got me? And so part of my healing came through continual forgiveness. Why? Because when you have to carry the word of the Lord, people are going to hate you. Huh? When I first moved this ministry to Detroit, I found people were putting curses on me and telling people not to come to my meetings. And these were people that I would have come and preach for me. You understand me? So if you don't know how to get over you and you don't know how to work for God and forgive people and love them, now they don't want to see me now, but I love them. I'd go around them if they didn't run from me. Huh? Like Jacob and Esau. Huh? Jacob did the Esau dirty on <laughs> You find out your brother likes to eat. And he'll do anything for food. You can do him dirty all day long. Huh? The skinny kid is always up to mischief. That's what I say. The fat ones is nice. <laughs> but anyway... We have to keep our end of the covenant. You know, he's not just going to be merciful to us. 
and we do anything we want to do, live any kind of way we want to live. We, but he seeks us out to keep his end of the covenant. And he will cause your behavior, your heart, your thinking, all of that to line up with his standard of obedience. And then he can bless you. He can bring the healing to you. He can bring whatever he needs to you. Understand that God is a forgiving God. He is a loving God. He is a merciful God. And he keeps covenant and he keeps mercy to many generations. So we said the word diligent means to show care and conscientiousness and to put forth a constant constant effort to accomplish a goal. So if your goal is to be healed, to be diligent about it, you have to show care and conscientiousness, constant effort to accomplish that goal. In other words, if you if you pray, Mark eleven twenty three says that when you pray, believe you receive it when you pray. Not when it comes, when you pray. That's faith. Faith is to believe in the unseen realm. Believe it before you see it. Act like you got it before you get it. All of that is faith, putting your faith into action. And so the Bible says that when you pray, believe you receive, you have it when you pray, and you will receive. You've got to believe your words will come to pass. So, and if you do believe your words will come to pass, you've got to continue to let your words line up with the word of God. So when you're diligent and you make a constant effort to accomplish that goal, you don't speak anything other than what you've already prayed. So if you're healed, you have to continue to say you're healed. You believe you received your healing when you prayed. You must declare yourself healed. Father, I thank you. I received it when I prayed. I declare myself healed in Jesus' name. And then the devil sends more symptoms, more intense symptoms. I believe I received my healing when I prayed. Amen. I'm healed anyhow, devil. I don't care what you're putting on me now. I'm healed anyhow. And so we have to continue as diligent people to pursue the manifestation, the full manifestation of perfect health. As long as we have believed we received it when we prayed. If you have received it by faith, amen, when you read the word, you can see by his stripes, I got, I received that. It's the same thing. But you have to declare yourself healed and don't ever waver from your declaration because you will get what you say. Can I get healed if I don't say that? You won't get what you don't say. Why don't you want to say it? See, don't let a bad conscience indict a good, clean spirit. Hmm? So what God is working is to bring your conscience in line with where your spirit man is. The Bible says that where consciences are purged by the blood of Jesus, they're purged from dead works. To serve the living God. So if your conscience is purged, you know what dead works are? Not just uh, uh, 
sin and, and things like we can we can talk about, but things that relate to unbelief, like not wanting to speak the word when you've already declared yourself healed. See, that's a dead work. Why? Because it's not going to bring life to you. It's not going to bring health to you. There will be times where you'll have to confess that you're healed and you'll be in terrible pain. You'll be in terrible discomfort. You'll have evil reports left and right from 16 specialists and 15 doctors and, you know, the, the nutritionist is against you and personal trainer don't have no good words. I mean, everybody has woke up in a bad mood about you this day. Huh? And so you're going to keep having to say you are healed in spite of what it looks like in the natural, in spite of what you feel like, in spite of what others are telling you. Huh? Everybody's got some Job detractors in their life. Uh, how you doing? Did you get it yet? You just worry about getting yours. Huh? So everybody's going to have a turn. To show God. We all have our turn to show God our faith. Uh, Don't keep your faith in your pocket. Have it always on display for God to see it. Uh, Put it out there. We used to have a, 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 in Las Vegas, once they deal cards, you can't be putting your hands up there. What what do you want to bet this time? Put it out there and don't touch it again until the. You understand why you can't touch? It's the same thing with faith. Put it out there where God can see it. And don't pull it off the table because you got symptoms and you're just feeling like this. And you, you know, leave it, you know, just be all in. Whatever happens, um, push it all to you. You ain't going to win nothing if you don't bet nothing. So just push it all into the middle of the table. So I'm all in on this healing. A bunch of backslid gamblers. Y'all understood that? Everybody been down at the, the, who is that? The Jake or Jay or somebody in Cleveland? And Max, Jax. Right, Jax. Huh? In the Detroit, what's that, MGM down there? Don't look at me like that, Bishop Russell. Got all them used chips on your dresser somewhere coming out your pocket. Praise God. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So, praise God. Amen. I remember my my husband used to, he would let me, he would let me throw the dice. I don't know. He just thought I could knew knew how to do that, but he didn't let me bet. He said, why would you? No, just don't bet nothing. I'll do that part. So I, <laughs> I rolled a dice and he bet. He was a happy man most of the time, too. He knew when to quit, knew when to do everything. I asked him one time, I said, how do you know all that? He said, listen, when you shoot craps in the bath, bathtub and against the street corner, you know how to do everything. I said, oh, okay. Experience. Amen. Praise God. But anyway, God wants us to have our faith evident to him at all times. Don't ever put it in your pocket. Don't put it away. Don't get distracted from using your faith. If God sends you to a meeting, and I've seen this happen to people, between the time that they sit there and receive the word and get full of faith in the altar call, the devil will attack their mind and snatch faith 
And then you start wondering about how you look to people. Huh? It's always an issue of should I fall or shouldn't I fall? Huh? Let me put it to you this way. People who don't fall missed something. If it's nothing but falling. Well, why would you go to a meeting and miss anything? Just hit the floor and end the controversy. You understand what I'm saying? Like the devil will dare you. Huh? You a minister. You can't fall. Huh? You mean you're bigger than the power of God? That's why, you know, the Lord told me with this last, next, this most recent outpouring of spirit, he said, don't touch them. He said, I'll take care of that. Because when the power of God's moving through you, you can tell if people are receiving it or not because it backs up in your arm. And I feel good. I get tipsy and drunk, but I'm trying to help you. So if the devil's bugging you like that, just end the controversy. Because God would never put you in confusion like that as to whether or not you should fall or not. You understand what I'm saying? Those questions don't come from God. I was here, I listened to a woman minister one time. She said there was a young woman that brought her father to their meeting. And he wasn't saved. He didn't know anything about God, anything. But he came up, he felt impressed to come up for prayer. And he came up to the altar And he stood before her, and then he laid down on the ground. He felt such a desire to receive whatever it is that people had. You understand? He knew it was significant when he saw it. And so he wanted to be obedient to that. So I'm telling you, folks, if you keep getting in those controversies and you walk away from a meeting because you can't decide to fall or not, let me tell you one thing. God's never going to answer that question for you because it never came from him. He wants you to receive. Whatever posture that takes, receive. So he keeps covenant and mercy. The word, when he says diligently hearken, so he said diligence means to show conscientiousness. To hearken means to listen or hear or regard, to pay attention to it. So many times we play the word music so much as like background noise. We're not really paying attention to it. It's just a ritual we go through. It's like so many forms of godliness. And we don't let the power sink in. So God wants us to perform what we're supposed to perform. Amen. So we diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord. Do what's right in his sight. Suppose I do wrong. Well, you know the cure for that. You confess your sin. But he's more interested in you maintaining righteousness than you correcting bad behavior. 
though he's interested in it, but he's more interested in you maintaining righteousness. Huh? Like, this is, this is my righteousness. When I wear this, there's no law against me. That means that as long as I'm in righteousness, the devil can't get me. Sickness can't get me. Poverty can't get me. Death can't get me. None of that. But when I take it off, I'm vulnerable. God would rather see me wear it with bad habits, lying a little bit here, cheating on my taxes there, here and there. You understand my slip-ups, huh? He'd rather see me wear it, even with my faults, than to be without it and let the devil beat me up. Huh? So he gives us his righteousness to wear. It doesn't mean we're perfect inside and out. It doesn't mean you, you never. What a word. Never's a long time. You understand? Well, I'd rather just cop to. <laughs> I'm a mess. I'm a hot mess. Help me, Jesus. And confess it and put my righteousness back on. Then to run around without it and try to put forth good effort to do everything right. Like there's no penalty against you doing everything right all the time. Self righteousness is your sin. Huh? <laughs> trying to trying to make the blood of none effect with your so-called good works. So you have to humble yourself. Messed up, confused, not sure, not diligent, barely hanging on sometimes, but you're his. You belong to him. And he gave you this to wear so that everybody would know you belong to him. Don't ever be ashamed of being a righteous person. Huh? Because you didn't do this right. You didn't do it right. And, you know, I'm just going to let the devil. I guess I deserve this sickness. You saw me mess up and I didn't do this right. No. He'd rather see you confess it to him, put it under the blood, and wear the robe, huh? And wear it well. Don't be ashamed and say, well, I just, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a sinner saved by grace. No, I wear this robe. Look at it, huh? Isn't she lovely? Isn't she my? You understand what I'm saying? Just wear it well. Huh? Rub the devil's nose in it. Say, oh, devil, yeah. I know everything I do and it messed up, and I'm not going to even blame it on you. But I know one thing. I ain't going to come over there and serve you and live in condemnation. I'm wearing it well. Huh? I'm wearing it well. Don't be ashamed to wear his righteousness. Call yourself a righteous person. Huh? 
Not self-righteous, but his righteousness. So much better. Huh? So much better. You know, sometimes you want to, you look at people and they look good and you want to look like they look. And you say, but you know that you just wear it so much better than I do. Huh? I bought things that, that I'll get in the closet and I'll look at them. I try to put them on, make them look right. And I say, you know who this looks like? This looks like because they wear it well. It's for them. It suits them. It fits them. So righteousness in Christ suits us. It fits us. It's right for us. Amen. It is right for us. It's your exact size. It's your exact color. It ain't too busy for the pearls you wear in the day. You understand what I'm saying? It's just right for you. So there is a due diligence, though, that we as believers must perform before God. And that's what we just said, diligently hearken to his voice. He tells you to do something, you be quick about doing it. Keep your ears open to hear from him at all times. Let him speak to you however he wants to speak to you. The Bible says God speaks to us first one way and then another. Amen. So there's all kind of ways God can speak to you. He can speak to you through your wallpaper. Huh? (laughs) Yes, he can. Speak to you through a prophet. He can speak to you through just little small things. Huh? That God does. I was thinking about it when my husband was alive. We would find each other's glasses. He wore his all the time. But I'd throw mine here. Throw them. They'd have batter on them, chicken, you know, chicken uh, flour and stuff on them. And they'd be in the kitchen and sink. And, you know, it's hard to look for them because both of us are nearsighted. And so when he passed away, Tony and, and uh, Tiffy, the camp, younger camps, lived with me. And so I would start telling them, I said, where's my glasses? Rachel had always found, here, bye-bye. She keeps, she can find them real quick. Even she wears glasses now. And then one day I, I decided, I started to notice I didn't lose them anymore. And I heard God say, here's your glasses. <laughs> so he started, you know, he, he speaks to you. In those ways, it's like, I love you, I care about you, I don't want you dependent on anybody. You understand what I'm saying? I do this, I got this. And so these are ways that God speaks to us. He speaks comfort to us. You'll never be alone. I will not leave you or forsake you. All of those things he says to us. Because he's God. He wants us to know how much he loves us continually. You can't know it too much. You just can't. So in doing your due diligence, there are some things God will do and some things you must do. So we're going to look at at least one, one, um, one example. Which one do I want to do? We'll do the John uh, 1. I'm sorry, John 5. Like I said, I think it's John 5. This is the man, the uh, gospel of John. The man at the pool. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John.
Verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now Bethesda means house of mercy. Amen. So here's the God. When you look at the name of the, the place, it gives you a tip off as to what God's doing. He's keeping covenant and mercy with this man because this man is waiting there for the mercy of God to come into his life. Whatever God does for us, folks, it's all mercy. You're not earning anything. I mean, your good behavior and your good preaching and your this and your that, it's all mercy, okay? I mean, you could fry for what you've done, and so could I. Amen? But he showed us mercy. So in John 1, 1, it says, verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 2, it has five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent people, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For there was a legend. Now, uh, I'm, I'm thinking that this was a by word of mouth thing that people understood that there was a time where an angel came down and troubled the waters and whoever jumped in first was healed now that's not scriptural you cannot find a scripture anywhere that tells you the first person is the only one we just read what God's word says about healing for his people. It comes through obedience on your end of the covenant, due diligence on your end of the covenant, diligently hearkening to the voice of the Lord your God. But God must come and keep covenant and mercy with us for that to happen. If if Jesus had not shown up that day, that man would still be laying there, 38 years, 39 years, 40 years, whatever long, he would just still be there. It is because God keeps covenant and mercy that this man was even healed. So then God must initiate his end of the covenant to let us know what our end is. It's tough to do it the reverse. So... You don't feel good. The doctor's giving you a diagnosis. And what you do is you go get in your scriptures, you go grab your word, you go do this, you go do that, and it doesn't move. You don't wait for God to keep his end of the covenant. You don't wait for the leading of the Lord into what you need to do in order to do it. If you... Go to your pastor, you go to church, you go to the altar, and you get instruction. That's God keeping covenant with you. You got me? So you have the word of the Lord instruction as to what you need to do to affect your healing. Call for the elders of the church. Pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord, and a prayer of faith saves the sick. It's a prayer of faith that saves you, not the elder, not the oil. But that's God's prescription for the church to remain healed. Amen. 
In fact, that instruction really entails that if you have, you say, for instance, if you know there are things in your heart you need to get straight, you get that straight. The Bible tells you that your health will spring forth speedily. <clears throat> if that doesn't happen by you doing the basics to stay in right relationship with God, then the Bible says if that's beyond your level of ability to get over, you go to the elders of the church. If you have a nagging headache that stays on you for a number of days, or you have symptoms of a cold and you don't want to go to the doctor and take their traditional pills, which I'm telling you eventually they won't work anyway. Antibiotics are the first things to fail you. Why? Because little bugs like that, little microscopic bugs, they change their little DNA configuration all the time so they can survive. So the last Z-Pack they gave you, that little bug then figured out how to beat that Z-Pack. So that's why they don't work anymore. He's way ahead of the people in the labs that create these. They'll say, oh, we got a strain that's resistant. Now we got to go back into research. And little bug's waiting on them. So yeah, do your research. But I'm going to be right here. We work in mine too. I'm going to beat that one too. You understand what I'm saying? So that's a tip-off for the believer to use his covenant then to receive what he needs from God. And so God will help you to strategize. If God does not give you specific instruction, he just says, you got it. Stay in the word. Keep confessing the word. Keep feeding on the word because that word is healing you. It's your instruction, period, for God. Many times God wants you to drop in and talk to him through his word. It's amazing. You can go in there for healing and come out with some of the richest things that have. And then all of a sudden you ain't so sick and desperate as you thought you were. Amen. You just feeling pretty good. Because really most symptoms are, are, I'll call it out of sorts with God. We get symptoms because we're a little out of sorts with God. Not because you're out of sorts. You're out of sorts with God. You need to get closer to him. You need to talk to him more. Friendship with Jesus and fellowship with him is the refreshing many times that we need to ride out that time between now and when the symptoms really do are eradicated and subside. Because he's your comforter. You want to be comfortable while you're waiting for that final symptom to leave your body you understand what i'm saying so he becomes your comfort he tells you you are healed but you're nervous about it you are healed but you're unsettled about it you are healed but you're putting pressure on yourself to make this happen faster than what i'm going you understand he said just take a chill pill huh hey eat a piece of fruit that's what i used to always you need the fruit of the spirit to maintain you till, it, till you ride it on out, huh? To its conclusion. Many times we're, we're very low on the word on the inside of us because of the way that we live. Hustle, bustle, running here, running there. You wear yourself out when you're by, because yeah, I remember when doctors used to put people on bed rest and just tell them, you're just worn out, you know, them. Older doctors that were really wise and they'd have seen everything, they'll tell you, no, just, just no, don't do so much. You're doing too much. I was shocked when I would see women 
uh, pregnant women working up to the due date. They used to make them go home. They said, oh, you're too big. Don't come around here. We ain't going to be responsible for you. And they, you would have to, they had a little protocol. You put your feet up and rest for a certain number of hours. Why? They cared about that life you were carrying. Huh? They cared about that. And they protected life back in the day. Huh? It's true. They had all kinds of, of things, you know, for women. Yeah, I can remember some of the women I worked when I worked in nursing. They would show up at the doctor's at six months. You know, medical people think we know everything. And the doctors be mad at them. They say, you realize what you could have done to your baby? Well, I took iron pills. I took this. I took that. You know, just that does not matter. This baby is under my care. You understand what I'm saying? They took responsibility for the well-being and health of you and your child. Now half of them don't even care anymore. I, they got so bad one time, I know they would scare me. I was a woman I worked with. She went and had the baby like on Thursday, and Monday she was back at work again. You understand what I'm saying? There's a, 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 a care about life that we all must do. And I believe Christians have gotten caught up in that little treadmill of success and working at success where we never rest. We never just chill and have a day with God. You know, I would, I, I kind of, <laughs> I shouldn't tell myself, but anyway, I'm a meditator and a thinker and an artist. Formerly known as, <laughs> whatever. But yes, formerly known as princess. But anyway, <laughs> I don't roll out to bed sometimes till one o'clock in the afternoon. And I'll be awake at nine. Everybody knows don't call me before noon. Used to be ten, now I bumped it up to noon. Why? Am I lazy? No, I'm in there with God. I'm looking for something for God that I don't have right now. And I'm not going to get it on the phone talking to everybody. And yeah, I do a little Twitter too much. And yeah, I do do a little too much Facebook. And the Holy Spirit tells me, turn that off and get your word back on. You understand what I'm saying? But I'm not engaged in, I'm on the hunt for something, folks. I'm on the hunt for more power in God. I'm on the hunt for more people. The people who are with me in this ministry, I'm on the hunt for them to be powerful people too. Because the world is too evil for us not to be people of power. It's just too evil. We need more. And anybody who's got half a brain will tell you they need more than what they have. The only people that don't admit that are the numbers people. Huh? Well, we have a membership of 20,000. Yeah, you have need of nothing. Huh? I think they mentioned you in the third chapter of Revelations. I ain't sure, but, you know, I think you in there. So here this guy is laying down at the pool. He wants to. He's just there. So he's at the house of mercy. Jesus comes. 
to keep mercy and covenant with this man. Now, many times people will look at this situation. It says, I'm going to read it to you, so I'll show you where sometimes a hiccup is for faith people. So we got this legend that the angel, and I don't doubt that somebody got inspired, but their faith made them whole. You understand what I'm saying? They believed the angel was doing something, and they followed the angel and jumped in. Well, that was faith. It's how Catholics get healed at the weeping statue. It's faith. You know, I was telling God one time, I said, you mean you heal them people and they believe in statues? He said, the statue is not a threat to me. He said, I know I'm God. He said, but I love people and I want them healed. He said, if that's all the church is offering them, then let them use their faith. And when they get there, he said, I show up and heal them. What do you care? I said, case closed. I ain't going to open my mouth about that no more. You think God's threatened by that kind of stuff? He's still God. They're still going to have to get their healing from him. And he could care less if they're what they're looking at or what inspires them. It'll shock you the things that inspire people to trust God with, with their lives. He says these people are waiting on an angel to come. That's where their faith is. And a certain man was there, verse 5, which had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had now been a long time in that case, he said to him, will you be made whole? Now, check this out. We get upset if it takes a long time to get anything. In fact... We get into doubt because of time more than anything. What's taking so long? What did I do wrong? What do I need to do different? You know, you're in the word, you're feeding on the word, but you still, your mind is searching for something different. The passage of time becomes your enemy sometimes. But look at that again. It said Jesus knew he would be, he had been there a long time. And what did he do? He singled him out with mercy. Sometimes the longer you're in a a troubled situation or the more you feel you're suffering, the more compassion he feels for you. Not that he didn't care before. But there's something about long-standing illness that raises, gets Jesus up to initiate. Because this brother was believing all the way wrong. He's waiting on an angel, not Jesus. Then when Jesus says, will you be made whole? Will you let me heal you? He's believing in a man. He said, I have no man. And Jesus goes, yeah, what am I, chopped lip? So to speak. Huh? His faith is wrong. His believing is wrong. You know what he's got going for him? He's got a covenant with God. (laughs) 
that's your ace. That's your ace in the hole. Amen. You got a covenant with God. And don't ever play it cheap because at any moment you could be healed. At any moment he can turn that on. At any moment he can approach you. At any moment he can have compassion. At any moment he can stop and say, now wait a minute, you ought to be healed. You've been here too long. So Jesus gets him to do his diligence. And this is what what we need to understand about our end of the covenant of healing. We said to do due diligence means to diligently hearken to his voice, show conscientious, uh, constant effort to accomplish it, to listen, to regard, and to perform. So there are th- three things you got to do. You got to be conscientious about it. You got to be focused on it. You got to listen to it. You got to hear it. And then you got to perform the doing of it. You perform your end of it. That's the only way faith works. You got to have the input of the word first and latch on to that and not let go of it and then do your performance of whatever that that instruction within you tells you to do. The one with the issue of blood, it was touched to him of his garment. She said that within herself. She did her due diligence and she received her healing. This man, Jesus said, will you be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but while I am coming, another one steps down before me. Now, if he's been there 38 years, this might be some truth to this. He might have missed it maybe once or twice in 38 years. But God does not pull your faith away from him and put it in angels or happenstance or once. If he heals one person at that pool, he'll heal them all. Amen. It just happened that that one guy had faith and all the rest of them laying out there didn't have any. If they had it, if he did it for one, he would have done it for all of them. You got me? So what they did was they started a rumor. They probably had a miracle occurrence and started a rumor about it. That's what we do. The weeping statue. Oh, let's go to what's what is it? Maja what who? No, Maja Gori, that when they all go to way out there somewhere in Yugoslavia, people buy tickets and go there and if the statue weeps, you're in. If it don't weep, and they look for these weeping statues so they can get the next plane ticket on over there. And God shows up and heals some of them. But you could have saved your money. That's all I'm saying. Let us move on. So here they start a legend behind a miracle. Sometimes we we do that in in church. We do it all the time. Somebody gets a devil cast out, and because the preacher talked loud, we think loud will get the devil out of everybody. You know, it's the same thing as, as, you know, Dorothy wants to get home. Click your heels three times, 
there's no place like home. You understand? It's the same thing. It's a senseless ritual. See, God can be moving in the midst of us, and if we don't have spiritual understanding and ask him how this happened so we can repeat it accurately, we'll go around attaching a myth to a miracle as the cause of how it happened. And we'll say, oh, the reason nobody else got healed is because you have to be the first one in. Now, listen. You'd have to be a really cruel person to tell a crippled person that they got to run down and jump in a pool before God will heal them. So the Bible says Jesus was what? Full of grace and truth. So when he comes with his truth, Jesus sums it up. He says, just tell me what you want. You want to be healed or don't you? And this guy's thinking, wait a minute. Is this a trick question? So he gets religious on it. Sir, I have no man. He never says he wants to be healed. He gives an excuse for why he's not healed. If that's the mindset you're in, get out of it. Major blocks to healing come when we start making excuses for why it hasn't happened yet. Because we don't know. So you're lying anyway. She might, that's another strike against you. Just quit lying, okay? You don't know why you use it. And all you can say is, but I am healed. See, that's how you answer that. Who told you I wasn't healed? I'm healed. But what about, go read your Bible. And then we come back and talk. Amen? Don't let the devil steal anything from you through questions. You don't know the wise. The wise in the invisible realm. So he says, sir, I have no man. Jesus is trying to get his faith. God's keeping covenant and mercy to this guy. But his due diligence is to be diligently listening and focusing on what Jesus is telling him. Because this is the instruction for him to get about that mat. But instead of him focusing on Jesus, he's distracted by what's in his head about the angel and the legend and the wife. Uh I have no man. And Jesus said, hmm. So either this guy is trying to recruit Jesus to come and sit there with him for he doesn't know how long. That's why he don't have a man. You get bored sitting up there waiting for something to happen so you can help somebody. So he done lost every, after 38 years, cutting them don't see you no more. Parents and cut you loose. Brothers and sisters don't want to. You know what I'm saying. You lose friends. And so there he is all alone on that mat. And that's one of the things that draws Jesus' compassion to us. When we're all alone with no human help, no human support, Jesus is the only one who can help us. Then he will come and start to deliver the goods. That's why he's there. He wants to deliver the goods to this man. So Jesus comes there himself to keep covenant and mercy. And so he says, the impotent man, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steps forth down before me. That's been an excuse for him to be sick all those years. 
Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the Bible says immediately the man performed the doing of the instruction of Jesus, took up his bed and walked. On the same day was the Sabbath day. Jesus was very staunch about doing good on the Sabbath day. He was very staunch about having an altar call every time they have a meeting. We have altar call in our, our meetings all the time. Every time we have it, does anybody needs prayer, come on up. You open that up because that's what God would do. He'll send you home without your needs met. Huh? You know, people get out of the habit of, of doing, you know, what they, everybody doing, the preacher's main one, watching the clock trying to see what time we got to wrap this up in an hour, an hour and a half. You might as well be Catholic and start having that hour mass. I mean, seriously. If you go watch the clock on God, really watch the clock. Just rack them in there. 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, noon. We have an hour. Get out. Get the next one in. There's no power here. It's just a ritual. That's what, that's what that advertisement says. This is all man-made. And those of you who like the ritual, come on in and join in on it. And there's lots of them. We even have that among so-called faith circles of people. So immediately the man got up, did what he was told, took up his bed and walked. Jesus came to heal this man himself. He wants us independent of man and dependent on him. When you depend totally on him, the instructions come quickly. The reassurance comes quickly. And he will keep you in faith. He keeps covenant. It's his job to remind you that he's your healer. It's his job to initiate your help. It's your job to follow through on the instruction once they've been given. But God has us do our due diligence. So this man focused in on what Jesus was telling him. And he received his healing like that. In one instant, that man was from lying down on that mat for 38 years to up and at him. God wants to keep covenant and mercy with us, folks. He will find you. I don't care if you... Think that God, you're doing everything you can and it's not getting any better. God will find you and reassure you that he's your healer. He will heal you then. He will either help your faith so that it can get to the level where it performs what you need it to do. He will help you because he keeps covenant and he keeps it in a merciful fashion. Why don't we have some music? Bishop Russell, you're going to play for us? That's good. I appreciate it. We'll get a, a good anointing in here. If anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you and we'll allow the Spirit of God to help you. Pastor Shirley, if we have a bunch, you can help me and we'll get them done. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, Miss Nola. Get them lined up for me and we'll pray. Thank you.